0: Hello and welcome to Business Line Podcast. I am Nivedita Varadarajan and this is News Explained. The COVID-19 pandemic has exposed several issues like the state of the public healthcare system, food security and employment. To protect public health, governments all over the world issued strict lockdown orders. In India, we had one of the most stringent lockdown order and the impact was mostly felt by labourers and low-wage owners. You must remember that millions of migrant laborers decided to go back home last year after they lost their jobs and many even made their way back home on foot. This has led to a big debate. How should one address the problem of urban unemployment? What is the best way to go about it? Should the government look at cash transfers or provide unemployment benefits or should they look at innovative schemes that guarantee employment? Today we have with us Swati Dingra, who is the Associate Professor of Economics in the Department of Economics and the Centre of Economic Performance in the London School of Economics. She recently published a study about urban unemployment in India. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. We know that the COVID pandemic and the resultant lockdown has hit the Indian economy. hard. What is the impact on the macroeconomic level?
1: Sure. So at a macro level, I mean, the most obvious indicator would be GDP. And India's GDP contracted by 7.3% in the last financial year. So by any standards, of course, that's a massive contraction. And from the point of view of post-independent India, this is the biggest contraction we have ever seen. So in that sense, we're talking about an unprecedented crisis Not just from the point of view of India, but even if you place where India is compared to, say, the rest of the world, the rest of the world saw their GDP drop by about 3.3%. And if you look at similar countries, similar in the sense of similar per capita incomes to India, there the drop again sort of on average is about 2%. So India did face a crisis which was really unprecedented, both in terms of time as well as compared to many other countries
0: uh the c m i e data suggests that there's a lot of unemployment. the unemployment level in India jumped in April and May last year, and then the unemployment level jumped again when the second wave hit. Can you give sure. us an so, idea of who lost the jobs and how much how uh, like what what were the jobs they were doing
1: so let me start with saying that we're really in a bit of a quandary at the moment that you know, we we don't know what those exact numbers are. And the reason for that is that it's not possible for governments to go out necessarily and be able to collect that kind of data in this environment. But more importantly, I think that's not something which has just been brought about by COVID, but more generally, unemployment data in India has been sort of under debate for a while now. Broadly speaking, though, the most authoritative piece of information comes from a very recent report that the Periodic Labour Force Survey, the Ministry of Statistics put out. And what really sort of comes out of that is that unemployment had reached up to 20% by April, with in April to June 2020. Compare that to the previous year when it was, so last year was 20.8% and the year before when COVID hadn't happened. It was eight point eight percent. So we're really talking about sort of, you know, more than doubling of the unemployment rate. And of course, this is only capturing urban areas in the PLFS report, because they weren't able to go out to rural areas. But more broadly, when we start seeing other surveys, so a lot of people have really gone out, state of working India, Tazeem Premji University being sort of the great a great way of learning about this issue, that they took a lot of these different studies that people started doing to get a sense of what's happening to unemployment and to worklessness in general. And we did a similar sort of study. And from what what we think is happening is that the CMIE data, if anything, is probably underestimating those numbers because what they're also not being able to pick up, one is the sampling issue, which has become a matter of sort of discussion recently. The second problem with it is that we're not you know we're typically not used to people working zero hours or working but not necessarily getting paid and that sort of environment has really come to the fore since covid so let me give you one example of what we found in our studies so we went to bihar jharkhand and up to the urban areas to interview people who were in the age range of 18 to 40 so young urban in- individuals and the reason we wanted to focus on this group is because Typically, when you have really deep crises like the one we're seeing now, when people get unemployed, it typically becomes very hard for them to get back to work or to be and even many years afterwards they tend to you tend to find that younger people who lost work then in big crises tend to have much lower earnings, even you know years, decades afterwards. So in that sense, that's really a group we need to worry about. And of course, being a young country, that's not a trivial part of our workforce. In fact, they're 60% of the workforce. So what our study did was to go to these urban areas and ask people, you know very similar to the question that the ministry of statistics asked that last week what were you doing were you working somewhere as a casual worker maybe in a private sector job maybe you were unemployed maybe you were looking for work and what was really staggering to us was we only only interviewed people who had had work before covid in april to june 2020 what you ended up with was that in these low income states that number of the number of people who had either no work or no pay was 80% in that sort of time frame now if you compare That's a these were all of people. people exactly so these were all people who were employed before only less you know less than 1% of our sample had no work in the months of january and february 2020 so we're talking about sort of you know 80% of these people suddenly having lost work or income and then you come to sort of we went back to the field recently in Jan to March 2021 and we kind of asked the same question that okay let's try and contact some of those people back the ones who we had interviewed in the previous year right after COVID, when you know during the peak of the lockdown so we went, when we went back to these people 40% of them were still telling us that either they had had no work in the previous week or the since pretty much the entire time of time period of 2021, the survey happened in Jan to March, they had not been they had not received any pay. So we're talking about sort of a very deep crisis in the sense that people are now getting to the point where they have been unemployed for a really long duration. And the reason that matters is that the longer they're going to be out of work, the harder typically it's going to be to find to go for them to get back to work. And of course, what is also happening alongside this is that it's not just anybody who ends up getting unemployed. The burden is falling sort of much more on younger individuals, 18 to 25, and those from you know, below median income families. So we're talking about sort of not just that these people had bad job outcomes to start with, and now that's just become much worse.
0: So uh, in your study, you have found out that people, the low income wage earners, want some sort of a job guarantee program. Can you uh, tell us a little more about that? A job guarantee program is something like the National Rural Employment Guarantee Act, but that's for the rural folks. So uh, can you tell us what the urban uh, uh, youth want?
1: That's actually one of the key reasons we wanted to do this project was to be able to understand from people themselves that what are the kinds of policies they would like to see to be able to tackle unemployment, you know, after the pandemic? So you can give you can ask people that question in various ways. And, you know, we've been really careful about framing it in many, many different ways to ensure that the answers we're getting back are something that can be trusted. And one of the simplest questions you can ask people, which we did in the first survey, and then we followed it up in the second survey as well, is to say that, okay, suppose we give you a choice between... Um, if if what, what would you want the government to do? Would you want them to give you a job guarantee? Would you want them to give you a cash transfer? You can also start asking the people how much of a pay cut are they willing to take to be able to have a guarantee of 100 days of work, which is similar to what Narega gives uh, people in rural areas. And overwhelmingly, I think what we were surprised with was that 85, almost you know, 80% of people or more no matter how you frame the question, would like to see a job guarantee in their areas. And the key reasons that they seem to be giving is that they wanna be able to find work close to home. They want some sort of livelihood security. They wanna supplement their incomes. And that's really why they would rather, and they want to be able to work. That that was actually really sort of important that it's not as though they just want income support. They want some kind of work so that they have livelihood security. And that's really what comes out so what narega does is give 100 days of work to rural households that might be needing it similarly others have propo- many commentators have proposed that an urban employment guarantee would help the urban poor so you know the rural area schemes handle the rural poor which is where traditionally poverty has been but what we've learned sort of over the past couple of decades is that it's not just a matter of rural areas where the poor people are anymore because the because India has got much more urbanized, there's a huge section of the population that's poor in urban areas too. And we don't have social safety nets to be able to take, you know, to, to sort of give these people some kind of fallback option when they lose work.
0: What kind of schemes can the government do? What If you're a policymaker, what kind of schemes would you want to perform while giving a jobs guarantee program for urban um, So this
1: is actually one of the key points that comes out in a lot of the discussions that people from, say, you know, people who are working on the grassroots, people who are academics, people who might be policymakers, that the discussion seems to be very much that, well, if we're going to do a program in urban areas, you know, one question is, okay, well, what kind of program should be, which is the question you asked me earlier, do they want a job guarantee? Should it be hiring incentives for firms? Should it be cash transfers? And overwhelmingly, workers seem to want a job guarantee. That's their view of it. The second component of it is, well, if, there, if we are going to have a work program, then the question is, well, what, what kind of jobs should be available to, the, to these people? And that's where I think a lot of the real thinking is going on, which is, you know, in rural areas, it's sort of easier to define that task that, yes, go, you know, maybe well digging, small irrigation projects, improving the quality of land, all of these you can see are very obvious ways of increasing rural agricultural productivity, which will be very good for the people, sort of not just the person who's doing it for themselves, but the community as a whole. In urban areas, because that community structure is weaker, and people are in much more varied types of jobs, it's a lot harder to come up with those ideas. But the report that the State of Working India has done has actually come up with very concrete examples of what can be done in urban areas as well. So some of them could be tasks like rainwater harvesting, even in urban areas. Some of them could be tasks like waste management, which is something that we're hoping many governments would be able to do on their own, sort of local initiatives like those. And that's really sort of where... People are making, coming up with good options. Of course, implementing it is never going to be very straightforward. I mean, with any big government program, that's always going to be a concern. But it doesn't seem like that there aren't proposals out there. And Dray's proposal is very, very sort of concrete in that sense about that. If we're going to recover from the pandemic, one of the really most obvious places where we know maintenance is needed is public Public buildings, and having a particular urban guarantee scheme, which is targeted at women in his case, would give both sort of you know an impetus to gender equality as well as to getting these programs off the ground.
0: It'll take years, if not decades, before we formulate the policy for a national job guarantee act. Uh, What can be done in the interim? One thing I can think of is like an unemployment benefit. Will that work? because that's easier to do, right? It's just the government has to, like how they did for Aadhaar or say the the bank accounts, they just have to collect information of all these people uh, and then they can start dispersing cash right away.
1: I actually don't think it would take five to 10 years. I think the proposals that are out there are fairly ready to go in some sense, but I think it's going to, of course, take us some time to learn how to do these policies well. So I I don't think um, sort of that this is actually a five to ten year project. I think there's there's a shorter, there's smaller steps that can be done even right now. And that's sort of where Jean proposal is trying to fill that gap. There is a sort of other point which you bring out that of course if the if infection rates start to rise again and you don't and we can't come up with necessarily, you know, work that would involve social distancing, in a broad way, then something like an unemployment benefit is extremely helpful because you can transfer it fairly quickly and in urban areas, you know, the, the connectivity to these sorts of, to bank accounts, to possibly other forms of digital payments is much easier than, say, in rural areas where that challenge is pretty big in itself. And Aadhaar alone, we know, hasn't fixed that problem. So in that sense, I think as an interim way of providing quick support, an unemployment benefit is great. And it's also something which is part of Narega that if you aren't able to get work from the government, the government is in fact in principle supposed to provide you unemployment benefits instead. And a similar kind of sort of clause could be put into an urban employment guarantee scheme as well. And in that case, that would be much more that, you know, if right now, you can't get to work because social distancing is in place, then yes, you should be entitled to some level of unemployment benefit. I think more broadly, we have to think of it as much more that we're trying to prevent a young generation of workers from becoming unemployed and from being pushed to a, tra- to a trajectory which leads to long-term unemployment and long-term income loss. I think that's really, which is, it's very hard to bounce back from that. And that's why it's really important that we get programs in place fairly quickly generally conservative thinkers usually tie up uh,
0: policies with outcomes right uh, should we tie up outcomes like skill generation or something along with this so if you are getting uh, benefits because you're unemployed you should like learn a new skill or something like tailoring or um some handiwork so you can get employed by yourself later on and not depend on the government to get money
1: mm-hmm. so i think we I think there are two elements to what you're saying, and I'm going to answer them. I'm going to kind of bring out both of those elements. I think one element is that, you know, we don't want people to be doing just menial tasks. We want them to be doing skilled, some level, acquiring some level of skills so that it's not just a matter of that you earn today. And if you couldn't find work, you got it from the government, but that's something something about sort of longevity of you being able to upskill as well. So I think that's definitely something which is, which is important. And that's something which, you know, in some of the programs the government has tried to do to think about skill development. So, you know, giving that a big boost is, of course, extremely important. That's something which almost every government strives to do, even, you know, I live in the UK. And even here, one of the key things has been that we want to put in place apprenticeship programs, we want to try and put in place vocational training. The UK is not the best example, unfortunately for those, but that's the kind of ambition that many governments, not just in developing countries, but even in rich developed countries have. So I think that's definitely worth pursuing. In terms of sort of the second component, the second element of it is that should it be sort of tied to outcomes or are we thinking about sort of that somehow these people will then become accustomed to just doing this kind of work? I think that too um the the second element of this is that yes you know people would want to tie it to an outcome but that's what's great about a job guarantee program that it already is tied to an outcome you're not going to get paid unless you've done work so in that sense it's you know the the this usual example that one wants to give of course is in narega you know rural landlords aren't going to find work in narega it's mostly people who are who are sort of much lower income backgrounds, and that's because they need the work and they need the money. So in that sense, it's a very self-targeted program, and that's the reason that many economists favor, even some of the, you know, who you might be, call, might be calling conservative, would still favor a job guarantee because it has that workfare element to it. There's also something about, I mean, I think it's worth saying that at the end of the day, we're trying to provide people livelihood security. So it's not just a matter of saying that we, you know, it has to lead to something which is measurable. I think it does anyway lead to something which is measurable, which is that these people go to work and produce public assets. So that's one component of it, which is already sort of directly benefiting the community. And the second element of it is that we want to be able to have a society where people don't just fall through the cracks when every, whenever there's a crisis, which has a much bigger impact on them. So in that sense, I think I would go away from the conservative view that it has to be outcome-linked in some sense that you must have acquired a skill level of X, Y, Z, that these are people who clearly are in extremely dire circumstances, which is why they're going to do go do these in Narega often extremely manual tasks.
0: Finally, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the... Policy perspective of Indian politicians, usually we don't see politicians talk about uh, job guarantees. They talk about uh, cash handouts. The Narendra Modi government is giving 2,000 rupees cash handouts to poor farmers. They talk about increasing the amount and increase to the number of people. Uh, Rahul Gandhi in his campaign in 2019 always talked about Nya in which they wanted to give 10,000 rupees per person. You know, It's a UBI scheme. So how does... The
1: government how does the policy take this over that because giving money is easier for the government of course i mean you know any kind of central government would want something which is a highly centralized process and which then just is easy to do so of course cash transfers are relatively easy to do there's one concern or rather i'm going to actually point out two key concerns the first thing is let me tell you what the workers said. We interviewed about 4,500 workers. We had a special sample in there of 1,500 workers who had lost work due to COVID. And the overwhelming response we got was that 80% plus want-a-job guarantee over these other kinds of schemes like cash transfers, like um, hiring incentives for firms. So in that sense, you know, the workers' voice is pretty much that they would prefer a job guarantee and for reasons that I outlined earlier, livelihood security, being able to find work in your own place. So that's kind of, I think, a very powerful argument for why we shouldn't just simply say that cash transfers are easier to do and therefore we must do them. So that's kind of one element that if people are telling you that that's what is going to work better for them, I think there's some sense in which we should believe them and get, and try to have in place policies that are that have those elements in them. The second thing is that, you know, it's nice to say that cash transfers are easy to administer and that they'll probably work better, but that's something that is about giving income support or giving cash support to people so that they can make up some of the shortfall shortfall in income. It's not ultimately going to directly address unemployment, which is really what we're facing in this crisis. And if you want people to sort of bounce back from unemployment, they need to get work. So in that sense, a job guarantee is much more compelling in this kind of environment. The final issue, of course, is that, well, when you start. So one of the questions that we tried to put forward when we did our survey was, to actually give people some level of information about what the government was doing anyway, and then try and ascertain from them, well, what would they still prefer? So the examples that we gave them were PM Kisan, which is, some, I think, the one you referred to, or the Jan transfers that happened right after, uh, after the, during the lockdown. So what you find from there is that if you try and take all of that, the sum that the government dispersed, and you divided by the recipients who are eligible, the amount tends to be roughly of this magnitude, which is that the cash transfer schemes were giving people about 1,500 rupees, and the job guarantee scheme was generating about 4,500 rupees. Now that's not to say that the job guarantee schemes are perfect and they're going to give people more because we know there are issues about wage payments we know there are other sorts of problems that are also arising in the so in that sense the point my my main point here is that the amount that can be given through job guarantee to the targeted set of people who have lost work and therefore want to work is a much bigger amount and i have not yet seen calculations that tell you that a ubi could do the same now, the way you could say that, yes, in principle, cash transfers could save money is by saying that there's huge administration costs involved with job guarantees. So I think that's a discussion we can have that how do you kind of how do you make it a more efficient policy? But broadly, what we do know, what we, what is emerging is that when Rega was was implemented well, a lot of people thought that was a lifeline for them during the COVID crisis. And for the urban poor, sort of, there isn't an equivalent kind of safety net available where if they wanted to work, they would be able to get some level of work.
0: Should policymakers also try and get job guarantees for people who are in the private sector or for people who are independent workers, like say housemaids, what can they do for them?
1: One of the things that the government already has done, which is the, for example, some of these, some of the ideas out there, which is the Employees State Insurance Corporation or the Employees Provident Fund Organization, that they want to try and capture not just people who, you know, are casual workers, but also try and sort of say that, look, if you work in some kind of private firm that's small and doesn't give you benefits, then we'll kind of come in and let you even enroll for the government schemes. So I think that's a really good step. But the problem is the coverage is really, really small compared to the vast majority of informal workers that exist in India. So it's just not quite delivering at the scale it needs to deliver at. But more broadly, I mean, I'm totally in agreement with you there that, yes, this, the, the program has to be something which covers everybody. The universal coverage point of it is really what is important. We know there are massive exclusions and omissions in India when it comes to any kind of welfare program. And the reason sort of many people are able to turn to Narega in rural areas is because it is it does have that universal coverage attached to it. And I think being able to get something like that in urban areas and learning from it over time in terms of how to do it very well would actually provide a really strong pillar of support for individuals who are low income in urban areas. We did have a question with two people which asked them that how would you like a job guarantee to be administered? Should it be private sector providing you jobs? Should it be the government? Should it be job contractors? And just again overwhelmingly people want the government to be providing them jobs and i think one of the reasons is that that gives them a sense of agency they don't want to be dependent on just other you know private sector players alone
0: thank you so much for joining us today perfect
1: thank you so much it was a pleasure
0: thank you for listening to the new sex podcast subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast, including spotify and google Please write to me at nivedita.v at the hindu.co.in for any feedback. Thank you for tuning in. See you again next week.